Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy. It is so good to be back in studio with you again. Hey, believe it or not, when I'm not in front of this microphone, part of me is missing because I want to bring so much energy and enthusiasm and enjoyment to the podcast that that I can't be like this all the time because people will just think I'm a game show host, right? <laughs> and you don't want to go through life thinking, having people think you're a game show host. Uh, but at the same time, you want to have the energy. And so I'm always so glad because I can take out the blinders. I can, I can take the governors off. I can go full speed ahead and we can chat about what gives us hope and what brings us wellness. And today I am so stoked because I met this guy and I don't know if you've ever heard the way out podcast before, uh, but this really cool cat, uh, Jason, but Charlie is someone that I know from this podcast and he and I become great friends and he's going to let you know how to download his podcast and be a part of what their mission is. But I want to talk to you today about service and helping others and why we do what we do. And Charlie is such a great example of that. And so as you, um, uh, you know, find us on your major podcast channels, please always make sure to share and recommend and comment. If you're able to give to this um, mission of, of love and support, everything that we bring in goes back to Recovery Guy and promoting what we do in wellness and health and recovery. You can go to patreon.com forward slash recovery guy. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, recovery underscore guy the recovery guy on, on Facebook, and I'm getting ready to relaunch my YouTube channel, Your Recovery Guy. So having said all of that self-promotion, I want to introduce my friend, Charlie, and we're going to talk about recovery and reaching others for the next 30 to 35 minutes. Charlie, great to have you on the show today. Absolute pleasure to be here, Robert. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's what we do, man. And uh, thank you for having me on your show, by the way, as well. And, and it's also, you know, just so you know out there, there's really no competition between us podcasters. The audience is so large. There's so much need. And Charlie may be able to reach you or Jason may, able to, may be able to reach you where, where I can't or Corey from 217 or, or Justin B from Rico, you know, um, Rico 12. There's always going to be someone. We're out there. We're available. And Charlie's just one of those guys. Again, Charlie, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here, Robert. And I can't wait to share a little bit about my journey to and through recovery to this point and about the Way Out podcast. Nice, nice, nice. And, and, uh, and Charlie, just uh, to give people a background, you know, where do you live? How were you brought up? Just a little bit about, you know, where you're at. And then we'll, then we'll backtrack and, and walk you through from where you came from to where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. So I live here in St. Paul, Minnesota, a Minnesota resident all my life. It's May, so our igloos just melted, <laughs> and we're 
busted out the grills and people are in their Bermuda shorts and celebrating here in the Twin Cities. And I've been in recovery since December 6th, 2014. Nice, nice, nice. That's a good run, man. Uh, so you kind of got a taste of uh, this thing could probably work for you, right? <laughs> One day at a time, it is working. Yeah, yeah. Seven years was a great milestone for me. Um, was there anything, because there was for me, was there anything significant when you, when you hit, have you hit the seven-year mark yet or are you approaching it? I am approaching the seven-year mark this upcoming December. Nice, nice, nice. And uh, you know, there's so many things that we learn along the way. Um, so what is your, what is your family background? So you, you've grown up in uh, Minnesota and so you're Minnesotan, the land of a thousand lakes. Isn't that what Minnesota is? Land of 10,000. 10, My, sorry to, sorry to underplay. <laughs> <laughs> lakes. We've got more shoreline than I don't know what, but it's a big deal here. Well, uh, you know, today I really want to focus on because you're so committed to your podcast and serving others in your personal recovery. It's why you do what you do. Um, but before we get involved in, in, in your mechanism and what you're doing to assist others with your podcast and your personal recovered life, um, how'd you get here? Yeah. You know, for me, Robert, my story starts growing up here in the Twin Cities. And I, I had a really idyllic childhood for um, a number of years. You know, I had a loving set of parents, and I remember as a very young child those years very fondly. Mm -hmm. And that changed fairly drastically when I was about eight years old, when I learned that my mom had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, we didn't really know what that meant. My dad, it, still to this day, is the persistent optimist and really believed in his heart of hearts that my mom was going to get better and that my mom was going to beat this thing. But as time wore on, the evidence was mounting to the contrary. So I don't think my dad was trying to gaslight us, but to a large extent, what we were experiencing seeing in the progression of the illness of my mom was not matching my dad's optimism. Wow. And I remember very specifically coming home from school one day we got called out of school and I knew something was very very wrong because my mom had been in the hospital for a long time and we had just come back from an extended stay at our relatives house in Gaylord Minnesota and we got called out of school and it was my younger brother and I, and I have an older brother, uh, but my younger brother and I are only 18 months apart. So we were only two grades apart and we started walking home from school. And I remember that day. I remember walking home from school like it was yesterday, crystal clear, following my brother. We didn't say a word to each other 
I'm kicking this rock the whole way home. And I know something is terribly, terribly wrong. My dad sits all three brothers on the couch and says, your mom died today. Wow. And that moment is seared into my consciousness on a cellular level. Yeah. And everything in our world changed. Oh, I'm sure. That day. In a way that I was not prepared for, that we were not prepared for. And I just didn't know how to cope with those overwhelming emotions or feelings. Now, I believe fundamentally to the fiber of my being that I have giant alcoholic and addict switches. And those things were going to get flipped no matter what. Whether my mom got cancer and died or not. But that traumatic experience very much poured gasoline on a ready-to-start-a-fire. Wow. And that provided, really, for me, the motivation to want to escape these overwhelming feelings. I didn't know how to cope with them. I didn't know how to deal with them. Yeah, and your dad was dealing with his own grief and responsibility, which was elevated. Indeed, and had to try to take care of three teenage boys and feed three teenage boys while running a business, while grieving the death of his wife, who he loved. I never saw a man love a woman the way he loved my mother. I never saw that, ever. He was devastated. And I remember going to sleep at night, hearing my dad sob himself to sleep. Wow. Crying myself, angry at God, angry as hell at God for taking my mother away. Because I remember the wake. People came up to me and said two things. Number one, I know how you must feel. And I, and I immediately recoiled at that statement. Sure. You don't know how I feel. Yeah. Did your mom die of cancer when you were 11? Then you don't know how I feel. Yeah. Right. And B, I guess I saw, I, I guess God saw fit to take your mother early. And that set up an enormous resentment I harbored against God for many years. Sure. Yeah. You know, you, when you, traumatic experiences like that, you know, e- even in adults, you know, traumatic experiences like that will will cause a person to get well or weller, or it will cause them to 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 become. Often, when you hear of someone becoming addicted in their late twenties or thirties or forties, and they didn't have a progression toward it, it's usually because of a traumatic experience like Indeed. that. Uh, And I'm not trying to read too much into your personal story. I want to get right back to that. But my dad died when I was two and a half years sober. And I was at that turning point. And I, and I, and I, and I asked God, I said, if you can keep me sober, 
this week, because instead of spending my vacation with my dad, I buried my dad. Hmm. Said, if you can keep me sober, and I had to process this as an adult, not an 11-year-old, which is near impossible. I said, if you can keep me sober this week, I will know there'll be no reason I'll ever have to drink or use again. You know, so, I mean, but that was me as a, as a, as a 35-year-old. How was that as an 11? My God. I just didn't have the tools to be able to deal with those overwhelming emotions and the anger that arose from that traumatic experience combined with the reality that I didn't have effective coping mechanisms to deal with the overwhelming pain and emotions combined into the fertile ground for substance use and abuse to commence. So when I was 14 years old, I got drunk for the very first time at a friend's party. His parents were away. He had this fully stocked bar. He lived on this lake. It was like amazing. And I instantly felt like I had arrived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that all of these things that I had tried to access prior to that moment were instantly unlocked. That I could flirt with the girls and stick up to the guys and I was funny. And (laughs) if you didn't think I was funny, I didn't care yeah and the anxiety and depression instantly vanished yeah i had arrived in a way that i never thought even possible and i just wanted to do that again that night i drank so much that and got so out of control that they stuck me in a dog kennel because they had to keep me away from the alcohol somehow. I was already completely annihilated. I was in a full-on blackout. Wow. And when they came and checked on me in that dog kennel sometime later, I had stopped breathing and my lips were blue. Wow. And my best friend somehow was able to revive me then they fed me a bottle of syrup of Ipecac and I proceeded to vomit for like three hours, four hours. But all I wanted to do was feel that way again. Yeah. Because it, it transported me to a place free of all of those awful emotions awful feelings that I had no ability to be able to deal yeah. with. And I was just sitting in them. I was just sitting in them for years with no ability to be able to move through it, just reliving this traumatic experience and feeling like I was going to feel like that way forever until I drank. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for taking us back there. So that's when you're 14. When, when you went in school and, and tried to be this 
person because now your mom was gone, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, you'd previously stated you came from a, from a, from a well-balanced home. I would imagine there was a, like a void in your life because, you know, I, I know even though my mom was codependent or, or watching my, my, my children grow up, just the reliance on their mom in that 14 to 17 year old arena, you know, mom is, you know, historically is, is the, is the foundation of the home itself. Right. Absolutely. Uh, She was everything for us. Yeah. She was our social engineer. She planned all our vacations. She cooked, she cleaned in terms of our lives from a, from our childhood perspective, she was, really everything. My dad was great, but like he went to work, he came home, kissed my mom and, you know, read the paper. Right. Yeah. Um, And threw the ball around with us. My mom was, was everything for us. So there was this huge void in having to, to see, it seemed like everybody else had a mom, right? (laughs) Just like everybody else had one. I didn't. And that's not fair. Did you, did you find yourself trying to act out or fill the void with anything besides alcohol? Was there other behavioral issues? Was oh, there yeah. other relationships you knew you shouldn't have been in, but you were just looking to fill that void? I had really three things that I used in order to be able to, I think, escape that dynamic that was playing inside of me number one drugs and alcohol number two Mm -hmm. anger Mm -hmm. and inflicting that anger on other people or other things so i would get very angry at people and inflict my anger at Mm -hmm. people because i just couldn't tolerate being me anymore and i would just flip out on people or on something, you know, we had uh, like folks attract. So I was then attracted to other people that were angry and we would inflict our anger on light poles around the city and, you know, um, uh, biffies that would start on fire. So we were destructive and I was part of that destructive because it felt good and there was a rush to it. And then, Romantic relationships definitely was yeah. something that I engaged in, in a, uh, on a regular basis. I had a three month rule in high school, man. After three months, it was try it was time to try something new. <laughs> so, did you have any individuals or or warning signs or you know or 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 angels along the way that were telling you? you're on the wrong path that, that you ignored or was it just like Katie barred the door and it was full speed ahead without love, interruption? It's a great question. I love my dad to pieces and my stepmom, who is an absolute angel, who is an absolute angel. She's passed just recently. And I love that woman to pieces. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, she died too early, Robert. She really did. But I'm so blessed to have two women, my mom and my stepmom in my life that, really helped in large part make me the person I am today. Yeah. So I have the ability to be grateful for both of those amazing women that were a part of my life. But after that party, 
both my dad and my stepmom found out about it and said I needed to go to treatment. Now I'm like 15 at this point. Like I had literally just found this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But I lied my butt off and got into outpatient treatment, not inpatient, and found out very quickly what they wanted to hear. So I started waxing poetic about recovery Mm -hmm. and became the recovery ninja. (laughs) Yes. The and they're pa- <laughs> yes, right. That's right. And they're passing the recovery coin, the graduation coin on the 28th day for me. And everybody's saying that I'm going to stay sober forever. And boy, if they just had an ounce of the wisdom that I had, they'd be set for life. And Eileen, the head treatment counselor, who I didn't even think was paying attention, usurps the circle, takes the coin, looks at me. And says, you're lying to this group. You're lying to yourself. You will use again, and it will probably kill you. That was kind of a buzzkill. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody was like, what a bitch. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah. And inside, she saw right through it, man. She saw right through it. And that would become my disease's voice of conscience as my disease progressed throughout Mm -hmm. my alcoholism and addiction was Eileen. Now, as you, as you move forward, so now you get through school, Mm -hmm. when, when did you start to realize, was, was there a point where you started to, you know, it's what, when we talk about self-honesty, you know, people would say it's it's two o'clock in the morning, the lights are out, and nobody else is there. You know what the truth is. <laughs> was 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 there any point along the way where where you said, you know, you put up your own stop sign, but obviously you would ignore it? Was there was there anything that you said this is getting out of control? I need to stop this, or I need to you know slow down over here. This is not doing me any good. Yeah. Definitely, you know, for for the large, for the lion's share of my high school career and teenage years, I mean, when I engaged in substances, I was intentionally trying to get to a certain level, right? That was an intentional thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of responsibility, and my mission in life was to get to a point where the feelings weren't uncomfortable anymore. And so I was really persistently high Mm -hmm. throughout my high school career and drunk as often as I could manage it. When I turned 21, I got to not that long after I got a DWI because when it becomes instantly and readily available, I did it a lot. And I, that's what I started to get an inkling that yet I think there might be. And even before that I had, Eileen sort of in the back of my head, but I was able to drown her out um, most of the time. Like, yeah, I can quit whenever I want. I'm having fun. Who is it hurting? A lot of rationalization and minimization for sure. But then turning 21, I couldn't 
stop drinking once I started and hard liquor especially was problematic for me and it would send me into blackouts. Every time I drank hard liquor, I'd end up going insane, essentially Mm. blacking out and who knows where I would end up. Right. That happened. I got in my car. There's no reason I should have been behind that wheel was fortunate enough to only crash into a parked car on the side of the road and got a DWI and a nudge from the judge and ended up in uh, the rooms of 12 step recovery again. And I stayed sober for a year on wall steps and again, waxing poetic, but I didn't really believe Robert that I was like those people. Right. Like, I felt like it was good. I was glad they had this program. I was glad those people had that program. Right. But the, Be- yeah, you weren't quite as sick as they were. No, man. I mean, they clearly needed it. <laughs> of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got this thing yeah. under control. Yeah, that DWI was not cool, but um, I've got things uh, figured out now. And so I stayed sober for about a year on uh, basically fellowship. Uh, ended up in another relationship on purpose. Um, And that's when I started to have to try to moderate it a little bit. She Mm -hmm. knew I had been sober, right? So now I'm in this situation where um, I've got to try to convince myself first and then her that that was just a phase. Right. I'm not really an alcoholic. Okay. Not that kind of deal. And so that was a process for to convince myself first and then her that it was okay for me to drink. But of course I had to keep it as much under wraps as possible. So it would be this sort of like when the pain became so unbearable, Robert, that it just (laughs) couldn't deal with it anymore. Then I would reach out to some sort of addiction, right? Or some sort of addictive behavior, whether that be porn, whether that be alcohol, whether that be some other addictive behavior, it became very much addiction whack-a-mole yeah 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 i love that i love that analogy of 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 whack-a-mole stephen covey talks a lot about that in seven habits um you know we're hitting over here and it pops up over there and hits over there hitting over (laughs) there and it's always gonna yeah pop up somewhere absolutely Uh, so when was that final moment of clarity was there a circumstance Mm -hmm. or did you just say i tasted sobriety I know I don't have to live this way. Or was there something traumatic that pushed you to that point where you said enough is enough. I can't do this. It's a great question. Yeah. I evoked Eileen and every time my disease would rear its ugly head and become impossible to ignore, right? Mm -hmm. A DWI, I got another DWI. So, First marriage ended uh, because I was an alcoholic and an angry aholic, mm-hmm. mostly dryish, but you know, periods of and another brief marriage that lasted inside of a year, um, and a DWI. In these times, right, the, a failed relationship, a DWI, those are the times where I would hear Eileen, you're lying to yourself. Wow. Line to this group. You're going to use it again. And it's probably rent free in your head. hundred percent, man. Wow. A hundred percent. Yeah. 
And then the other reality was, so I had this reality that over any period of time, my use would become unmanageable. Right. Things get worse, never better. That's right. But I also had this other reality where when I tried to quit, life became unmanageable. Like I couldn't deal with it, man. Like I couldn't be sober for any length of time without a solution. Like life just became unbearable. I couldn't be in my own skin any longer. And it was either I was going to murder you myself or use. Yeah. And so that's the opposing forces that I found myself right in the middle of. I get married a third time and she's the answer. To all my answer. (laughs) (laughs) We're just asking the wrong question. That's right. She's the answer. And, and after about a year, she looks at me and she says, Charlie, you drink every day. I'm like, yeah, baby, but, but, but it's not a problem. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, and baby, I only drink a few. And so now she's counting, which is a problem because the only, th- it's hard enough to outsmart somebody that's already smarter than you, but oh, when yeah. they're, but when they're also not drunk, yeah, it becomes impossible. So she figured out really quick that it was more than a few. And she's like, you got to quit. Like, can you quit? I think you have a problem. I'm like, I don't have a problem. She's like, well then quit. Okay, so I quit for 30 days on Marlboros and Resentments, (laughs) which I don't recommend. And I convinced her because I quit for 30 days that I can drink again. So she agreed. And it was my son's birthday coming up and Thanksgiving on the same day. Sometimes his birthday falls on Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. this year. It did. And I said, I'll get the alcohol, sweetheart. I'll handle that part. And Robert, I got enough alcohol to feed an army or to lubricate an army. Yes. And it was like three people. It was me, my wife at the time, uh, four people that were drinking. And so anyway, I promised myself, I promised myself, and I never did this because I was smart enough, at least to that point, not to put myself in that box because I... I knew enough about myself to know that I really couldn't live up to it. But I promised myself that time there was too much writing on it. I could not get drunk that day. And I didn't want to. I we never want to. Didn't yeah. want yeah. to. Yeah. I only wanted to have a few this time. Most of the time it was like, I want to get, but, but this time I wanted to. And of course, I'm drinking other people's wine that's half drunk and I get annihilated and I almost cut my finger off carving the turkey and I make an ass of myself. And after my parents leave, my wife at that time looks at me and says, what's wrong with you? And she really wanted to know. She wasn't trying to be mean. She really wanted to know. Because I had been telling her this whole time that I'm not an alcoholic and that I'm not an addict. And I didn't tell her about my past at all. She didn't know any of that. Because that's not a convenient truth. Sure. And my son looks at her and looks at me and he says, what do you mean? It's just dad. And he's just drunk again. Wow. And that hit me like a two by four, man. Like I wasn't, I wasn't fooling anybody besides myself. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you got to go to treatment. I'm like, okay, well, fine. Uh, so I went to treat. I went to 
Hazelden mm-hmm. intake because I just didn't want to get divorced. I mean, I wasn't trying to get sober. I just didn't want to get divorced for a third time. Uh, and I sat down in that treatment counselor's office and she asked why I was there. And the reality of my entire alcoholism and addiction hit me at that moment. And it was undeniable that I was the problem. And I wasn't expecting to break down and cry and become completely honest for the first time in my life with one person, with that treatment counselor, but that's what happened. Right. I just, it was, it was, I was your done. Mind. I was, I was yeah. done. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't. And she said, what do you want to get out of this thing? And I said, I want to know why I am the way I am. And she laughs and she's like, okay, so say you figured out, say it's because your mom died when you were 11. Say it's because you had big addict and alcoholic switches or a combination of the two. Do you think you'll ever be able to drink normally again? No. Do you think you'll ever be able to safely use again? No. Okay. Should we figure out how we get better instead of why you are the way you are? And that was that first light bulb moment. Like, yes, yes, let's figure that out. Let's figure out how I can get better. Wow. You know, it, I, I forget, let's see, I'm trying to think of who it is. Um, on, on one of the tapes I've listened to talk about um, diagnosing the problem doesn't, isn't the solution. Like we wouldn't go to the dentist and get an x-ray and the dentist say that we have a cavity and think that we're done with the dentist. That's right. Then you go, we said you would say, well, you got a cavity here and I know how you got the cavity. Uh, Here's my bill. Have a nice day. And you look at him like doc, you got to fix this thing. You got to drill it. You got to do a fit. Oh, you actually want me to make it better because that's what you really need to know. I mean, it's important to know why we got broke. Yeah. But that can happen later. And I think that's, that's what right. you're saying. Absolutely. What I'm saying is that at that moment, what I needed to focus on is what I needed to do to start to get well. Yeah. And in that process, I discovered what was broken. Yeah. That's amazing. So you discover what's broken. you you work on this path. And obviously if you don't know who Hazelton is, they're like the, the granddaddy of treatments. Um, and I think they actually started in Minnesota, didn't they? They did in center yeah, city, and, Minnesota. Yeah. And Hazelton literature, it's all throughout 12 step recovery, fantastic uh, group of in people and treatment and insights and, uh, you know, if their path is for you, it's the best path out there. If not, maybe another one would work. But Hazelton is always a good um, point of reference in terms of uh, understanding addiction and more importantly, understanding recovery. You it know, was transformational for me in the beginning, yeah. for sure. And they're centered in the 12 steps, but they also do a really good job of allowing you to understand the nature of alcoholism Sure. And addiction and there's a great two-part series the problem and the solution by fred holmquist mm-hmm. which was really instrumental in my early recovery but 
going to 12-step meetings is where I came home. So where did, and, and for lack of time, I want to push forward mm -hmm. here. Um, where in, in your recovery, obviously, you know, you're going on seven years. When did you realize, because you do what you do at the Way Out podcast, um, you do what you do out of a sense of giving back and responsibility for the recovery community. When did you know that you had something to share beyond the average member? And I'm not poo-pooing the average member because everybody brings something valuable to the table, right? But not everyone is the waiter. Not everyone is the chef. Not every, you know, we all have different roles and responsibility. And obviously, again, it's not to diminish the commitment of the regular member, but you've, you've elevated, you've taken this to a whole nother level of commitment. Was there a particular moment in your recovery where your sense of responsibility toward others elevated you to begin this journey of, of podcasting and helping others? And what, what, what was that like? It's a great question. When I started taking a series of actions that didn't make any sense to me, but started to have a transformational impact on me in a way that I could have never anticipated. I started praying to a God that I had no concept of. I wiped the slate clean, wiped the resentment away because I desperately wanted to get better. And I started getting these results that were just unbelievable. Yeah. And I saw those results in other people, too. And I started hearing these stories, Robert, that were so powerful. And I thought, these stories, they need to get out of the church basement. Mm -hmm. They need to get out of the church basement, and they need to reach more people. Because if they're changing me, if these stories of these people who thought like I thought did what I did, felt what I felt, and they got better. Mm -hmm. And they gave me the belief that I could get better. I needed to get these stories out. And it was sort of an amend in the beginning too, Robert, because the two previous attempts at recovery were all about me and what I had to say, right? And they didn't get me well. But listening to other people's stories, truly listening, was the beginning of my own transformation. And I thought, I need to get these stories out so other people can hear these stories and think maybe maybe I can recover too. So, so what helped you, you're using as a mechanism to help others. That's right. Yeah, because there, there, there are some universal truths, aren't there, Charlie? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What were Absolutely. some of those universal truths that you found um, in your life that you have found to be valuable in sharing on your podcast uh, with others? The first universal truth is if I have, I have to be honest, there's a self-honesty. So honesty is the first universal truth, self-honesty, mm -hmm. right? And being able to get honest with myself about whatever it is that is manifesting inside of myself, whatever addiction uh, or addictive behavior or alcoholism. And 
other people give me permission to get honest because when they share openly and vulnerable vulnerably about their own recovery journey, they give me permission to share about mine too. Nice. Nice. Um, so let's get down to the podcast. Tell me about the podcast. Um, tell me how long it's been going on, what your approach is. And then also I want our listeners to know how to find the podcast and how to reach out to you if they've got some specific questions about your specific recovery. Um, and then even, uh, uh, Jason's with you as well Indeed. on the Way Out podcast. So talk a little bit about the podcast, uh, you know, your everything that makes it go. How can people support you? How they can find you? All of those things that are that are going to be important to the listeners. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate that. The Way Out podcast started in 2015, again, as a way for me to be able to give back to the recovery community and get other people's stories out so that they can be related to. I really believe that our voices are in our recovery journeys and our recovery stories matter. Mm -hmm. And if we recover out loud and we're willing to recover out loud, then they are going to reach the people they're supposed to reach and they're going to change the people they're supposed to change. Right. Yes. I don't get to choose who that helps and who that reaches, but I do get to take the responsibility, which I take very seriously to recover out loud. I don't scream my particular recovery program at the top of the mountain but I do scream that I am in recovery, in long-term recovery. And then if somebody reaches out to me, I will share what program. And for me, it's the 12 steps. Now, speaking of which, and, and going back, as I'm thinking of the Way Out podcast, as you and I had previously discussed, my favorite page of the big book is page 17, where we have discovered a way out mm. on which we can absolutely agree. So I love that term, the way out. Is that where you got that from? Was there another something else that ignited or lit that um, that uh, that seed of wisdom? The way out was what the big book was going to be called. Yes, before it was called Alcoholics Anonymous, and because there had been several other books written mm -hmm. titled The Way Out, they switched it to Alcoholics Anonymous. So it was definitely an owed right. to okay. Good. the big book. And also, I had found the way out because somebody yes. showed me yeah, and somebody shared their story. And the only reason that I was able to truly find my way out of addiction and alcoholism and into a rewarding and meaningful recovery is because other people showed me the way out. And they showed me by sharing their stories. You know, and speaking of which, and in, in, in that path in that way, obviously, if you weren't working a plan of recovery, but doing a podcast called The Way Out Podcast, I would call you a hypocrite. <laughs> but, but since I know you are not enough not to be, um, what are you doing for your personal recovery that, that would, someone would say, okay, 
Charlie's asking me to do this, but I see him doing that. <laughs> so, so he's, he's, he's not, you know, he's not do what I do what I say, not what I do. He's yeah. saying, this is what I do. Maybe you should consider what are you doing to stay well, to stay in recovery, to stay in that frame of mind that allows you or, or gives you the energy to constantly be sharing this power uh, of, of another way. It's a great question. So I worked the steps in order with a sponsor. Mm -hmm. I read the big book all the way through. I took suggestions when I heard somebody say something that worked for them. I tried it. And, and lots of times it worked. Sometimes it didn't. I make my bed every morning because of that. Right. So yeah. I, I, I started to take seriously the suggestions of people who had what I wanted. And nice. then I started to integrate that into my recovery. I continued to work the 12 steps in my daily affairs. Steps 10, 11, and 12 are the, are the foundation of my recovery. Mm -hmm. And that looks like taking regular inventory. That looks like prayer and meditation in the morning at night. That looks like recovery and spiritual lit literature. Mm -hmm. And constantly seeking to grow my understanding of my higher power, which started out as zero understanding, zero. And then I started to, and then I experienced something very profound because I started praying to a God that I had no concept of, that I didn't understand. But my life started changing in profound ways. And the only difference, Robert, was I was praying to this God that I didn't understand. So I, I, I understood one very fundamental spiritual truth, and I don't care what spiritual avenue you pursue, but one fundamental truth. Prayer in my higher power wasn't changing the world. Right? Wasn't changing yeah. my boss, wasn't changing my girlfriend, wasn't changing my kids, wasn't changing the drivers on the road. My higher power was changing me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I'm so glad because I just knowing you to the way that I do, you know, you're a deeply spiritual person. And, and oftentimes on Facebook or Reddit or whatever, you know, I'll hear people poo-pooing AA or another 12-step or another program because they'll say that it's religious, right? Mm. And and 12-step programs and others like them are the farthest thing from religion. You know, I'm a born-again Christian, and I make no apologies for believing in God and Christ. That's my personal approach. However, I wasn't that when I came here. Right. If you would have told me I had to believe specifically in a specific way, I'd have, I'd, I'd have stayed for the cookies maybe for the coffee, maybe to get laid, yep. but I'd be gone, right? Thank, thanks, but no thanks. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I would have never jumped into the deep end of the pool, but you told me I could believe whatever I wanted to believe, provided it made sense and it was transforming my life and held me accountable and a couple other things, but it could be whatever I wanted it to be. How important was that to you? And how important do you think that is to express that to newcomers. Oh, it's critical. It was everything. If 
I walked in those doors and they gave me a list of things that I needed to believe in and adhere to, I would have said thanks, but no thanks. I will find something else or do this thing on my own. There is no way. I mean, I had a resentment against God that was enormous. Oh, I'm sure right? you did. So, you yeah. your mom. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So the 12 steps met me where I was. Nice. I like Which that. was, I hated God. And, and a guy that walked in to the rooms of 12-step recovery, hating God, I was able to, there was just a crack of willingness, just a crack, right? Like, I'll, I'll just try it. And Joe and Charlie were instrumental because they just kept telling me when I listened yeah. to the Joe and Charlie tapes, just try it, man. Don't worry about the process. Just try it. And if it doesn't work, you will happily refund your misery. Yeah. And I and I took that seriously, like, okay, fine, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And I'll try something else. Yeah. And and it worked for me. Right. And, and that was that that was that moment where I realized that my higher power is changing me. Yeah. In in ways we, you know, my my dreams fall short of my life. Mm hmm. You know, they really do. So how do people reach you? How do they find the Way Out podcast? How can they support? I know you've got a couple lines. You've got a couple phone lines where they can even leave a message That's or right. reach out to you. Tell tell our listeners about that because I'm sure they'll want to, to reach out uh, to you and find your podcast as well. Absolutely. And just to put a bow on my own recovery routine, I go to a 12-step meeting once a week, hard stop, have to do it, right? So that's an important mm -hmm. part of my recovery. And I sponsor people because my right. sponsor told me I had to. <laughs> and so he he said, you know, the part of the meeting, Charlie, where they uh, tell people to raise your hand if you're willing to be a sponsor, that's you. And, yes. And he told me that when we finished step 12. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I do that because that's a part of my uh, that's a part of my recovery. And that is that's an important part of my recovery yes, to help is. take others through the 12 steps. You know, we share powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics on the way out podcast. And we love to get people's feedback and input. So you can call 218-382-1960 and leave a message. And often we'll include that in our episodes. You can also email us at share at wayoutcast.com. That's share at wayoutcast.com. Or you can leave a message in the Anchor app. So it's not Way Out Podcast, it's Way Out Cast. That's right. Right. So W A O U T C A S T. Yep. So w A Y O U T C A S T. W A Y. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And then um, so they can they can do that. Is there um, any any um, what what if another person wants to be a part of your podcast? Because I'm sure because you're you're you bring so many guests on um, if they think they have a story, would they just message you and say, hey, Charlie, I think I, I want to share like I've got a guy calling me later today. And he's he wants to do a podcast, but he wants to be on mine. So we're going to chat and see if his story is in line with mine. So if somebody wants to share their story, um, I know you're probably booked out a little bit, but but obviously you're always looking for individuals 
who you think can bring value to your listening audience, what would someone do if they, if they were at that stage where they wanted to share their recovery? It's an awesome question. I love sharing folks' recovery stories and their journeys to and through recovery mm-hmm. to this point. They can email share at wayoutcast.com. That's share at wayoutcast.com, or they can call us at uh, uh, 218 382 1960. I love sharing people's recovery stories. And if you don't think your recovery story matters, I have a bone to pick with you because I believe it does, <laughs> right? Um, so, we're, yeah, we're totally into sharing. And, and yes, we're booked out uh, a number of weeks, but that's okay, man. We'll, we'll, we'll record the interview yeah. and we'll release it when, uh, you know, in, in its time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I, I really want to thank you so much. Um, again, you and I could chat um, for, for, for a long time, uh, and I'm sure we will moving forward. Uh, I do want to thank you for sharing uh, your experience, strength, and hope with us. And again, my condolences, you know, to you losing your mom and your stepmom. And I'm, and I'm so feel so badly that you had to experience that trauma. Uh, but if it made you a better person, if it made you stronger, if it made you more empathetic, if it made you more capable of, of getting at the point of pain of helping another person who has experienced deep traumatic loss, then in, in, in an odd way, it was worth it. Oh, absolutely. And I wouldn't be the person I am today without those experiences through also a therapeutic process using EMDR along with yeah. my recovery process. That was really transformational for me. So, you know, I'm in a, a really good place when it comes to that. And I know that, you know, I'm going to lose other people and that's going to be hard. And, yeah. but I have tools today, Robert, I have tools to be able to, and I have a community of recovering people that uh, are available to me like I've never had before. And just to put a bow on people sharing their recovery stories. That's why I started my podcast because I wanted to share recovery stories and your recovery story matters. Yeah. So please share it. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for being a part of recovery guy podcast today. Hey, thank you all for being a part of what we do and who we are. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your commitment. If you do anything when you find these podcasts, especially this podcast with Charlie today, would you share it with someone? It may not resonate with you 100%, 100% of the time, but just like Charlie said, you know what? We don't know who we're helping. We just know we're supposed to help. And, and, and I know it sounds rather trite, but it's really to sharing is caring. And the more we share, the more it's a demonstration of our care. So, I want to thank you again for being a part of today's podcast. Again, Charlie, once again, thank you so much. And as always, my name is Robert, and I am the Recovery Guy.